Our communion meditation is from Zephaniah. I'll read Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So I'll read 12 verses. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I, was utter, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Chapter 2. Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the fact that Zephaniah was your prophet, bringing your word to bear in a time and in a nation in which people were deaf, deaf to the truth, and yet there is always hope. So we thank you, Lord, that even in our time when so many are deaf to the truth, that you would grant us ears to hear, that you would grant us an appreciation for your word and for what you're doing in this world. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So I read a lot, and I want to kind of focus in, because this is a community meditation. It's not going to be too long. But what has happened? What is it that I just read about? He says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. So I'm not going to give you an entire summary of the book of Zephaniah, but I will tell you that he is writing to Judah at the time of King Josiah. It's in the final decades of the nation of Judah. And he is writing to tell them that they are going to be destroyed. And yet he does hold out hope as I read in chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord. You may be protected from this that is to come. So now, life becomes more and more difficult for these people over the coming decades. And their nation does fall to a very cruel, cruel invader. 
That's the context of Zephaniah. So now, why? Why is it that God is bringing this judgment upon this nation? Starting in verse 4 and running through verse 9, there are many reasons given. I'll just give you a few. He says that he will cut off every trace of Baal worship. They were not only worshiping Baal, they were integrating the worship of other gods into the worship of the true God, syncretism. The people were worshiping idols, they were worshiping the heavens, they were swearing by the name of Jehovah, but yet swearing by the names of other false gods. They were no longer serving or seeking Jehovah. And he says in verse 9, the last verse I read from chapter 1, in the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold. So what does it mean that God is going to punish those in Judah that leap over the threshold? Now, not all commentators agree. There are a couple different schools of thought as to what's going on here. One is that this is a euphemism, that this is a euphemism for stealing and theft and things like this. I personally don't subscribe to that. I believe it is speaking to that which seems most obvious and that it's a superstition. These Judeans are behaving in superstitious ways. It's said that they must step over the threshold. They can't step on it or something bad will happen. We all know that phrase, that little rhyme from when you're a kid, when you're walking down the sidewalk. Now, maybe some of you don't. That's thankfully. You grew up in the church. Don't step on the cracks or you'll break your mother's backs. Or step on the cracks and you'll break your mother's backs. Horrible, horrible rhymes. But a lot of these children's stories we know from history are pretty horrible. They have their roots in horrible things. Now, what are, I mean, there are so many superstitions that we could discuss, but I want to share a few with you. An obvious one that is prevalent in our culture is Friday the 13th. Ooh, Friday the 13th is supposed to be a very scary day. And some people who are superstitious are bothered by Friday the 13th. Many public buildings, uh, hotels, they don't have 13th floors. They don't give rooms number 13. And so that is just people avoid the number 13. When I was young, I lived in a home in which my mom knew a lot of the superstitions and she abided by a lot of the superstitions. I would say more in a cultural way, it wasn't a big deal to her, but she did these things. She would get an itchy palm. Now, if your right palm is itchy, it's supposed to be because you're gonna get money. If your left palm is itchy, it's supposed to be you're gonna lose money. Now, if you scratch the palm, your right palm becomes itchy and you scratch it, oh, you've just lost this blessing that you were going to receive. If your left palm is itchy and you scratch it, oh, well, good. Now you're gonna retain that money that you would have otherwise lost. When she would have an itchy ear, people are talking about you. Walking under a ladder. Why is it that we're not supposed to walk under a ladder? Why would it bring, it bring us bad luck? Well, they said because it forms a triangle and you're entering into a space that demons occupy. Demons like living in triangles, I guess. 
And so if you walk through this ladder by accident, perhaps you can undo it by walking backwards, back under the ladder, and that way you're undoing that. Or another one said that if you've walked under a ladder, you can undo it by placing your thumbs between your, your index finger and your middle finger, like this for five seconds. You have to do that for five seconds. Then you've undone whatever had happened by walking under that ladder. Breaking mirrors, seven years bad luck, but thankfully, if you take those broken pieces of the mirror out under a full moon and bury them in the ground, you've now dealt with that bad luck you would have otherwise received. Horseshoes. Who of us hasn't entered a barn or a home where someone has a horseshoe hanging upside right? Because if it's upside down, you have no luck. If it's upside right, it's filled with luck. And you're blessing people that enter and exit through that doorway with luck. My mom would do this all the time. If the salt is spilled, you've got to take it, pinch of that salt, throw it over your shoulder because demons are attracted to salt for some reason. And you have to send them on a wild goose chase by tossing it over your left shoulder. Why your left shoulder? I don't know, but you better do it. Do it the right way. Do it the way they say. Black cats, witches kept them. Some people think that the witches even became the black cats, shapeshifters. Napoleon was deathly afraid of black cats. Hitler, deathly afraid of black cats. I mean, these men, I mean, they ruled whole nations, and yet they were very superstitious men. Sneezing. This is a sad one. If someone sneezes, you say, God bless you, or Gesundheit. Well, I guess that's rooted in superstition. And as a matter of fact, in 1665, the Pope required that people say, God bless you when someone sneezes. It was like a harbinger of doom during the days of the Black Plague. And that not only would they say this Gesundheit, but they would make the sign of the cross to ward off whatever, whatever evil spirit was bringing this Black Plague. So even the Pope was demanding that these people obey these superstitious ideas. So, what was this leaping over the threshold then? Um, most of you are probably familiar with the story in Samuel. I'm not sure it's rooted in this, but I think it very well could be. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. When the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, falling on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, set him up in his place again. When they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon, fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both of the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. When was this? When did this occur? This was when Samuel was a tiny little boy. And so this was hundreds of years before now, near the end of the nation Judah's existence, 400, 450 years later. Why are people superstitious? We have to ask ourselves this. This is serious. God is judging Judah because of some superstitions. And so we have to ask ourselves, is it innocent what we do? I don't think it is. I don't think God regards superstitious adherence as innocent. 
we have to think these things through. One, I believe people by adhering to superstitions can exert some form or believe they're exerting some form of control over what is otherwise outside of their control entirely. And so these talismans, these things are supposed to give you some way of dealing with this evil that could otherwise fall upon you. It explains also why bad things might happen to them. It gives reason to that other than just bad luck. Now it's easy for us to scoff at superstitions in our time, but we all can fall victim to this way of thinking about God. And I believe we once shared the illustration of how people will sometimes think, they'll share this, they'll say, you know, I didn't have my devotion today and the day was going very badly. And so what they're sharing really is that God is um, bringing bad juju into their lives that day because they skipped the devotion. That God is that petty. Well, think about that for a second. You know, there may be very good reason why it's appropriate that God judge you in some way today. Every day, right? God can judge us anytime he wants. He doesn't need us to skip doing this or, or do that by accident to bring judgment upon ourselves. I believe what is at the heart of superstition and what is most damaging about superstition to a Christian is that it depersonalizes God. This morning, we did meet concerning the Knowing God, uh, chapter 6, and it is about the Holy Spirit. It's entitled, He Shall Testify. We spoke about how the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity, a person. And yet, even in the Christian church, we have a tendency to depersonalize the Holy Spirit, make him from a person into just this force that is at work in our world. It's that temptation also that we do with God generally. God is not a force. He can bring force to bear in our lives, and he often does. Yet he is three persons, persons that we can relate to, persons that we must not depersonalize through these superstitious beliefs. And so we have the opportunity to serve God as he ought to be served, apart entirely from superstition. He is one God in three persons, and let's serve him as God, know him as God, praise him as God, partake of this Lord's Supper knowing that it is a family that we are sitting down with to celebrate his presence with us in this family meal. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the power of your word at work in our world, in our hearts, and it is your Holy Spirit that brings that power to bear upon us. Lord, he brings rebuke to people. He brings condemnation. He brings death to so many as he did with the uh, nation of Egypt at the Passover. And yet, Lord, he also brings life. And so we thank you that we celebrate life in this meal. We celebrate your love of us, your having provided for us this meal this bounty our salvation and a very very promising future 
We give you thanks for all of these many promises in Christ's name. Amen.